All right, you may wonder why this is on my, around my neck, guess why? I ran my 5K. All right, so I'm one of a group that did. Um, thank you to Jade for all she did to help us to run that 5K. But if you remember, I spoke about this at the beginning of a series we did on spiritual disciplines, about wanting to have some different outcome in your life. So in this case, I wanted to be fitter. I couldn't run 1K. I would have just gone over with Stitch. Um, but actually, on um, Saturday, I ran 5K in 33 minutes, which isn't bad for me. Um, but actually, I'm going to carry on going. I'll be back this coming Saturday to run it again because I want to get better and better. But that is something because of training myself to kind of get to a point where I could do something I couldn't do before. And that's a great principle to hold on to. And there was many of us involved, Liz, um, Kevin, Russell. Uh, who else was running with us? Uh, you, Simon, uh, sorry. Um, no, sorry. Dan, Dan ran too. Yeah, Dan ran. Liz Hollop ran very fast. Simon ran very, very fast. 25 minutes. Like just went off like dust over into the background. And then as we get, we're running around, we see Lewis and Emma running around too. So it was a great thing. So if you fancy just coming along, it's very easy to join, by the way. Just come along on a, on a Saturday morning. You just sign up, get a barcode in the week and come and join us and run. Uh, or you can go around on wheels. People were running with prams, by the way. Incredible, yeah. I was slightly crestfallen at one point because I'm running behind a lady and, you know, shorter than me for a start, so I've got bigger leg span. I'm running and I'm puffing away because I wasn't feeling, I was feeling quite, didn't have much energy yesterday. And I'm running, I look over and she gets out her asthma pump and carries on going. I'm like, that's not exactly the most reassuring thing to see, you know. There's me feeling sorry for myself and you've got asthma and you're just pumping on the way round. But the model that we kind of encourage you to think about here, we use this phrase, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. This idea of if you want to have a different experience of your spiritual life, then you're going to need to think about changing a few things. We talked about spiritual disciplines as part of that. And I think that's important. But these are personal choices you make when you're trying to sort of change the way in which you uh, go about this sort of thing. And that's great, and that's really good news. But I want to sort of almost like dovetail that into what we're going to talk a little bit about today and make a particular point. There are some things you can do through training and effort. And discipline, by definition, says you need to kind of discipline yourself to do these things. And there's some things in this life that you just cannot, as a Christian, do through effort. You cannot get your salvation through effort. That is a free gift given to us all. You cannot get your, the grace of God by effort. It's lavished. It says it's lavished upon us, like literally just poured over us. So you can't work your way to kind of get more grace. It's just been poured out upon all flesh. Earning God's favour by the things that you do. If that was true, then he would never have saved me because I was so far from him. My ability to win his favour. I can do things that are pleasing in God's sight, but they don't win the salvation. They don't win his grace. It's just freely given out to us. In Romans, we're reminded, actually, it says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So I want to make sure that when we kind of come out of the spiritual discipline series, and I want it to carry on, I want us to continue to try and become a spiritually fitter church. This morning, the worship, the time of prayer, I think is a sign of a spiritually fitter church. We could give you the half an hour hymn sandwich, keep it all nice and neat, 
but there will be no power here. We want to see God's power at work. We're not going to say every Sunday we're going to have 20 minutes of praying, anointing oil. I haven't got enough oil and I haven't got enough, you know, it just took so long, but, but we're trying to break through. We had a time of worship here as a church, which lasted over an hour, which is not normal. We went back into worship at the end of the service. Do we do that every week? No, but we want to see God breaking through to change the way that we think of church and what it's like to be here. Because there's neat churches you can go to, but if there's no power there, there's no point. You might as well just read at home. But we want you to come together on a Sunday and see his power moving in this room, which is why we've changed the setup, because I want you want to see him working. I want you to see each other worshipping. I want you to see each other as you pray for the person on the other side of the room. If you see someone coming in the morning and they're looking down or crying, you can see and you can pray for them. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going to skip past a bunch of stuff. Um, we are going into our Easter series. Today is Palm Sunday, and, and I'll mention that briefly, but I'm actually going to kind of do something about looking at Easter through a, a lens. I've called this Easter and the Three Rocks. And today's message is, is for everyone who feels like they have sinned, failed, drifted off target at some point in their lives, if not now. Gone off the boil in their walk with God, or just struggled along the way. And that can be accompanied by sort of a sense of shame, a sense of just plain disappointment. I didn't think I'd be here. I thought I'd be further along. Maybe I'm not worthy. That can kind of be the enemy's way of accompanying that season of feeling dry or not quite moving along with things. And if you don't feel that and you've never felt that way ever, this sermon is not for you. You have permission to now go. Uh, if anyone, yeah, thanks, Adam. I <laughs> knew some, some smart Alec would get up and do that. But I wager there's something in this message for everyone in the room today. If not now, just something to prepare us on, in our walk along the way. Because we remember the enemy loves to kind of build lethargy into our lives, make us kind of feel lukewarm and not very effective anymore, not really bothered about things. At worst, we get lethargic at, at, at well, bad enough is it getting lethargic. At worst, we can just abandon our walk with God. So let's go at Easter. I'm going to do Easter through... Uh, here we go. I'm going to look at this guy here, if you know the story of the cockerel. And um, I'm going to do the chirpy title of Easter through the lens of failure. Oh, how upbeat is that, all right? Um, but remember, Palm Sunday is a story of Jesus coming in and, on the, and they lay down the palm fronds. Is that the right expression for them? Did I say that right? Fronds, yeah. Uh, which were actually a symbol of victory in Roman culture. So he's, he's coming into to actually into Jerusalem. And then things start to kind of go pretty wrong after that moment. You know, that, that moment of thinking, wow, it's going to be great. And then, but he knows, it's not a surprise to him that this isn't what it's going to be like. The story of Easter is a real kind of go up, way down, and then oh so high up you cannot believe, a resurrected king at the end of it. So spoiler alert, if you don't know the story of Easter, Jesus rose again after the third day and is seated in heavenly places in victory at the right hand of the Father. Spoiler alert, I must have ruined Easter for you, you had no idea what it was about. Um, but um, you know, epic fails, they've become quite a thing and, and YouTube is full of like epic fails of things that go horribly wrong. If this works, uh, excuse it if the sound's on, she says, oh my God, rather a lot. But this is my current favorite epic fail. You know what's going to happen, don't you? And it does. The whole wedding party in the water, that will now play in slow motion so you can relive it. But what you've got to remember is there was probably someone who set that up. There was a photographer who said, I've got a great idea, because it's American. 
Everyone line up on this thing, I'm sure it'll hold you. And of course, you, if you listen to the sound, you hear it cracking, and then the one girl realizes and runs, the rest just gets sucked down into the water. But in the middle of that, there's someone saying, I'm sure this will work, it'll be fine, don't worry about it, it can hold you. And so today we're gonna to look at Easter through the lens of someone's eyes who experienced and look at the eyes of failure. There's traditional stories about Jesus and his walk to the cross, and I've sat through enough of those, and I've preached enough of those, but I asked God to give me some guidance, and I'm indebted to a preacher that I've never heard of, a guy called Stephen Cole. Um, he's retired, but he posted a preach online because I was looking around for different people who spoke on it, and his preach really preached to me off, off the page. I thought, I'm going to bring that. Um, and, and he spoke about very much Easter through the eyes of Peter. Um, and a person who boasted highly and yet failed royally. And I'm going to start with a scripture and I'll work my way back um, from the good news of Easter, which I've kind of given the end story away, all the way back to Jesus and his resurrection, um, and then go back from that. Sorry, go back from Jesus' resurrection and kind of work our way through the story because I've not given away the ending, you know it. So let's go to the kind of, to almost the end, the bit when on our logo the rocks pulled away, and we're going to go Mark 16, 4 to 7. Um, and looking up, that's Mary and Mary Magdalene, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now I want to zoom in on two words that kind of, can, can escape us sometimes. Reading scripture, things sometimes just slip past our eyes. But go and tell Jesus' disciples and Peter. And Peter. So stop for a moment and just consider that. Why has is, why is the angel told them to say, and Peter? That's like me saying, could you go and tell the welcome team, and Prisca? Prisca was on the welcome team today. Why would you single out Prisca? Why am I saying, tell the welcome team, and Prisca? Tell the worship team, and Ben. So like, what's an odd thing to call Ben's name out? He's in the worship team, he's a drummer. Unless you don't consider drummers a musician, which is always a bit of a challenge. But, but anyway, you've got... I'm a drummer, I'm allowed to say that. But, but it's a weird thing to say. I say, talk to all these people, but that one in particular. And so, you can be sure the angel had a reason to say, and Peter. He didn't randomly choose to say it. And you can be also sure that Mary and Mary did not go back and say, I tell you what, we'll say that they said to the disciples, but let's say, and Peter as well. That would be actually, culturally, a strange thing to do. So to kind of, they didn't add Anne Peter, so when they reported back, because this is obviously reported and then confirmed because they go back and say it by others, they said Anne Peter. And so there's a question mark as to why that might happen. And how did Peter, sitting there, and if you know the story, you'll know that he would have been very down at that moment, hear that? We've, Jesus is alive. Angels have told us to come tell the disciples, and you in particular, he's alive. Would that be a positive thing or a negative thing? How would he receive that thing that someone's saying, you need to specifically know that he's alive? And so I'm going to use this um, question, and I'm just going to work through three, three Peters using a very cheesy three-point preach, which I call three rocks. Hard rock, soft rock, and prog rock. 
If you know your music, you might know what those are. Hard rock for me though is the whole planning, promising side of things, feeling confident. Soft rock is kind of failing and weeping. And, hard, and prog rock is then what goes forward afterwards. Because the name Peter, by the way, I hope you know means rock. So that is rock wiles right there. You don't call him that, he doesn't like it. <laughs> but, the point, but the name Peter means rock. Okay. So let's talk about hard rock. So let's go back now. We're going to go back in the story to the Last Supper. Jesus gathers his disciples together and he speaks about what's going to happen. He talks about the fact he's going to be betrayed. He talks about the fact that his body's going to be broken. His blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Then they sing a hymn and then they leave the supper table and they go to the Mount of Olives. And it says this, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's a prophecy from Zechariah, I believe. That that's what's prophesied, that he will strike the shepherd, him and his sheep, the disciples, and the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Remember that? That's what the angel said. Going forward now, remember he said, he's arisen, he's gone to Galilee. Peter answered them, Though they all, that lot, may fall away, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So you see that in verse 32, that's what the Mary said, that the angels said to them, go and tell him, Jesus has gone already, he's on his way to Galilee. So that's kind of confirming what was said. But those words, as, as that was being said by Jesus, was going to be lost on Peter, because Peter switched to, his attention is drawn to the whole thing about letting him down, letting Jesus down. So he's, he's not even hearing that, he's just talking about, this lot are going to struggle and fall away, but I'm not going to. And Peter's got good reason to feel solid and strong in his faith. He's got good reason to be confident. He's one of the three that sees Jesus transfigured before him. His glory comes upon Jesus on a mountain. They say, like, that's him, that is the glorified Jesus. He sees that. He sees his radiant glory. He's experienced, he's watched Jesus perform incredible miracles. He was there at the rising of Jairus' daughter who was dead and he's seen that. So his faith is strong. But instead of listening and heeding the warning, he gets all cocky and self-assured. He believes that he is this rock, hard and solid. And he's got all the hallmarks of a follower of Christ. So why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he be someone who says, I'm solid stuff? If Peter was on Facebook, he'd be posting scriptures, boasting of his faith. He'd be called Rock Man, Rock of Jesus on Twitter or something. He would be like that one who's just out there saying, I am solid. But family, Scripture is full of warnings of that kind of self-assuredness, of that overconfidence in ourselves, that self-reliance, that kind of believing a lot in your own strength. Lean not on your own understanding. There are some warnings of kind of slipping into that space, putting too much faith in what we can do and not enough in what he can do. And Peter's going to be the prime example of someone who's trading on his experiences, putting a bit too much belief in himself, and so he turns into soft rock. So by the time you get to Matthew, end of Matthew 26, about 30 verses later from what I just read, Jesus has been betrayed, 
He's been arrested by an angry mob. Peter's lost control of his temper, cut the ear off of one of the high priest's servants. If you know that story, he lops his ear off and Jesus says, no, don't do that. This has to happen. So he's been kind of told off for, for being violent. He shouldn't have been. And then all, all the disciples run away as this thing is happening. As Jesus said they would, they desert him. Jesus' mock trial then begins. Now he's being misquoted, misrepresented. He gets accused, he gets spat at. He's thumped, he's slapped, prophesy who slapped you. But Peter, it says in Luke, is seeing it. He's close enough to still see what's going on. So he's watching it from a distance. And in Matthew 26, 69 to 75, it says this. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know who you mean, what you mean. And when he went out of the en- to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it. And with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your account betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered saying of Jesus, the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So this is Peter the lead disciple for many, the one who was supposed to be the strongest in his faith, who'd seen Jesus supernaturally, the one who declared for the first time, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. Is that Peter who's now weeping bitterly at his failure in the moment of trial. When it came down to it, Peter did not follow through on his plans and his promises. He was the most ebullient, committed, confident of followers of Jesus He's out of the game. So some rock he was. It looks like it's game over for Peter. How low can he go? He's failed the test. He's let the disciples down. He's let Jesus down directly. And Jesus knew he would do it. He said, you'll deny me. It's going to happen. Peter didn't believe him. It's not going to happen, but it happens. And there are three lessons we can take before this, before we kind of get into the the prog rock, the progression section of this. Ultimately, we must realise that our failures and our struggles can never be hidden from God. We should stop thinking they can. Humans have a habit of hiding our mistakes. Remember Adam? Hides. David, Bathsheba, tries to cover up things. There's something built into us that wants to hide away when we do something wrong. But the important thing to know from this part of the story so far is that Jesus knows we fail before we do. Jesus knew Peter would fall and fail. He's not surprised. He foretells it. He says he'll deny him three times and it's exactly what he does do. God knows us better than we know ourselves. So when we're saying, God, I'm going to commit to this thing, God's thinking, I I, I know you're going to try. But what's God then going to do when you fail? Is he going to punish you or is he going to restore you? Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. He knows we make plans, determine efforts that we will struggle to fulfill and we're going to slip and we might fail and we will occasionally fall. But that is why grace is just so stunning. 
It's so unbelievably stunning that in the midst of all this, his grace extends and says, I'm still with you. God witnesses our failures in real time. If you, think, if you link to uh, Matthew's account of Peter denying Jesus, it's a painful read. And if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson film, which is a tough thing to watch, I'm sure you would agree. I believe this scene is in there, which is difficult to watch. Because Matthew's account talks about Peter denying, but Luke says a detail that is very chilling. It's in Luke 20 to 60 to 61, 22, 60 to 61. And immediately, this is the same scene, but he's added a detail. Immediately, while he, Peter, was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. How crushing to look in the eyes of Jesus as he looks at him and goes, there you go, third denial. He looks at him. This is true when we sin or slip. God is not turned away from us thinking, I cannot look at you. He's looking going, I'm here, I, I see it. He's witnessing it. And as you'll see in a few minutes, he's going to make a way to restore and redeem us. Because grace is so stunning. God wants to, us to recognise our failures though and confess our sins. It's not about, oh, I just didn't know it happened and can he just wash me over? God brings these things to our attention. The Spirit stirs up. That was the wrong way to behave. That was the wrong reaction to give. That, that way of your life is not right right now. And the Spirit tells us these things. And God gives us an opportunity to confess with our mouth because his grace is so stunning. And I'm quoting directly from the book that I was, uh, the, the uh, paper I was reading on this from, uh, from that guy Cole I mentioned earlier. And I want to quote directly. We cannot hide our failures from the risen Saviour's gaze. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. He knows every rotten thought we have before we think it. He knows every terrible thing we say before we say it. He knows how we will fail him next week and next year. He knows our failures as we are committing them. He doesn't overlook them and he doesn't want us to overlook them. He wants us to confess our sins, not to cover them. Because that is why grace is so stunning. So here comes grace, progressive rock. It's not just the nature of God to forgive our sins and our drifting. It's much more powerful than that. God's love does not just redeem us. It restores us. It empowers us. It picks us up. It dusts us off and says, confess your sin, be humble, and then go again. And you have to remember the word to sin has some of its origins in an archery term. It means to be off target. So just thinking sin is like unchristian stuff, doing bad and naughty things, actually just means to be off, to drift away from God's purposes, to drift off target. So confessing our sins includes just being frankly off. I am just off. So for progressive rock, we're going to fast forward again, jump past Good Friday, Easter Sunday, to the epic news that Jesus is alive. The grave did not hold him. It did not hold him. Why did the resurrected Jesus tell the angel to tell the two Marys, to tell the disciples and Peter, I am alive and I'm going to Galilee. I believe this is because Jesus wants Peter to actually know, yes, I mean you as well. You may have failed, you may have drifted, you may have gone off more than any other, 
But Peter, despite all those failures, you are still loved by me. And you, Peter, are yes still in. Because Peter might have read, tell the disciples I'm going, he's thinking, well, I'm, I'm out. I messed up, so I don't think I'm even a disciple anymore. He looked at me as I denied him, so I must be just out. So if he just said, tell the disciples, he'd be like, well, that's that 11. Well, it's 10 Judas, I ain't going either. He really messed up. So it's just that lot, and me, I'm, I'm, I've, I've lost it. He wants him to know. Tell the disciples and Peter. To me means, despite what Peter may think, God still loves him and his grace is stunning and his grace is sufficient and his love is unending. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life or where you are now or where you may have been or what might happen to you in the future. His grace is stunning. Look in the eyes of Jesus and deny you know him and God says, I still want you to Peter. What can we do? So if you've had a period of dryness, you're thinking, God must be so mad at me. He doesn't really want me for a sunbeam anymore because I'm just not good. His grace is stunning. Yes, still you. I knew you'd do it. I know you better than you know yourself. I know your struggles. I know your doubts. And I still love you. And I still want you because my grace is sufficient. It's such ridiculously good news. I know it is great news for me to know that as I struggle and sometimes think I'm supposed to be a pastor and here I am struggling with this thing and surely Andy as an elder you shouldn't have those struggles surely what do you think I am made out of kryptonite I'm just a guy but I have my struggles but my word that his grace is sufficient for me oh thank you Lord your grace is sufficient for me that you love me even when I hated you before I was a Christian I didn't even want to know you you were just a joke you were for weak people who don't know how to party properly. His grace is so lavish. Don't worry. Be happy. Anyway, <laughs> there's a famous story in business about a guy called Tom Watson, who is the founder of IBM. And the story goes, it's going back quite a bit of time, so the amount of money I'm going to mention would be a lot more now. But the story goes that a promising junior executive lost the company $10 million in a risky venture. And the junior executive goes up to Watson's office and in his shame just blurts out, I guess I'm here because you want my resignation. And Watson looks at him and says, you can't be serious, we just spent $10 million educating you. Yeah? Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who, can be called, who have been called according to his purpose. That speaks to me loudly. That when I fail and when I struggle and when I'm not doing exactly the things I thought God, I should be doing to keep God happy, saying, no, you're not. I hope you're learning. I hope you take those difficult experiences. I've been through some terrible moments in my life when you're thinking, God must have just completely deserted me by now because this cannot be happening to me. He's right there saying, you're going to realise how good I am at the other side of this. And he waits patiently as I realise he sustained me through such difficult times. There's an amazing reflection of this story about the restoration of Peter. It kind of, again, forgive me theologians who just see all this stuff and I just don't, but when I'm reading scripture I think, how did I not see that before? 
your story. How did I not know that story before? That's the beauty of scripture. It just keeps giving. It keeps revealing stuff. And there's this amazing reflection in John 21, 15 to 18. So this is after Jesus has been resurrected and he appears to the disciples. Take a moment as I read this out and ask the Spirit to reveal to you just what it means when God redeems and restores and then empowers us, what it's really saying. I note that Peter is also known as Simon, Simon Peter. That's his kind of his fisherman name was Simon, Jesus renamed him Peter, so that he gets called Simon and Simon Peter. There's some significance in it as well, but I haven't got time today. But let me just read this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. That alone is a calling. With all that you've done, feed, look after my people, feed my lambs. This is after Jesus had resurrected. Remember, he knows what Peter says, feed my last. But then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Again, he's entrusting him. The third time he said to him, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus asks him to say, do you love me, three times, and restores him and puts back all the damage that each three of those denials were. Every time, it's damaged, damaged, damaged. I'm going to restore, 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 and puts back all that is lost. I believe today is a time for some confession for us, a bit of humility. I believe God wants to restore us by his Holy Spirit, fill us again like Peter was at Pentecost. Do you read the story of Pentecost? Peter is filled by the Spirit and, and just preaches this incredible message that thousands are saved off the back of. He uses him, the denier, through the power of the Spirit to speak out. Peter was restored by God in all he went through. And Peter himself says, when he writes his own uh, letter, a letter, a book, what <laughs> 1 Peter 5 is, to be honest with you. But anyway, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Let me read that again and think about what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to ask you to be humble and to confess and to ask for God's forgiveness and a filling of the Spirit, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Peter truly became so powerful for the gospel. So powerful. The man who thought himself a solid rock became this soft rock, but then through the power of the Spirit and his humility and his decision that it's not me, I need him so much, he is such a good God, he was given such powerful things to see thousands saved, many healed, and many come to salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm going to wrap it up there, but I want to give us an opportunity to just stand and pray let me just talk about if you're someone who feels your life is yeah off target a bit or maybe you feel like it's way off but maybe you just feel like it's just not where I, I believed I would be maybe you've made plans and commitments maybe even during the spiritual discipline series it just didn't come off I'm going to read the bible every day it's four days in and like going to pray every day two days in ugh we know it, yeah? 
God saw that. He knew it. He wants to say, my grace is sufficient for you, so why don't you just go again? Because you need to learn that that wouldn't have won me anyway. That's not about winning my favour. That's about you getting to know me more. So go again. My grace is stunning. My grace is sufficient. If you're someone who doesn't even know Jesus, though, Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins at its absolute core. You can get restored to a relationship with God. And frankly, I know because I was saved in my 20s, he lifted a massive weight off my shoulders. And I was the party guy. I was absolutely fine, having a great life, but something was weighing me down. And in church, I just felt the weight increasing. When I gave my life to him, he lifted it off my shoulders and put it on the mighty shoulders of Jesus and let them die on the cross with him. If you don't know that to be true, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Maybe just chat, maybe pray, it's up to you. But if you're a believer, and many of us in this room are, and you feel adrift, I would say it's a time for some prayer. I think we need a brief moment of confession, saturated by grace, that we have not, we may not have had Peter's epic fouls, but we've made promises to God and we just haven't stuck to them. The stuff that we thought we'd do, we wanted to do, that we just haven't followed through on, his grace is sufficient and stunning. Maybe we rely too much on our own self-belief. I know that's a problem I have. I'm too confident in myself and I just do things because I'm, I'm just someone who just does stuff. But I want to be much more faithful and relying on him. And this is an area of life I want to pray into. So I'm going to have a weird thing for us, two weird things this morning. Anointing people with oil is just something we just don't normally do in church. Perhaps we should, perhaps there's a lesson there for me but also moments of silence. I just want to have a moment of silence where we can just pray privately and perhaps have a moment of confession, just ask for his forgiveness, knowing that his grace is sufficient. And then I'm just going to pray over us for kind of a restoration of what might have been lost. So let's just have a moment of silence where we can just pray and confess. If that's what you feel is right for you, let's just go ahead. And I'm going to pray over us that want to be prayed for. So I'm going to ask you in a moment of humility and honesty to stand if you want me to pray over you for restoration for what's been lost, for just God to restore things in you that you feel have drifted. If that's you, just stand up and I will, I will pray over anyone who's willing to stand. Father God, I stand with my brothers and sisters and we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for the patience you have with us that, that stuck with us through our lives often. It's either we never knew you and we made a confession of faith or we, we just didn't really follow you. Your patience is just so encapsulated in your grace to, to watch us as we drift and we promise and we don't quite follow through and your, your grace is beyond human comprehension. Your love is beyond our understanding. I'm still loving Ephesians where it talks about your immeasurable love and your immeasurable power. We thank you for your grace that you would forgive the humble that would say yes, there was more and I've, I've not done my part. I've not followed through. I've not followed you daily. We thank you for your grace that says, okay, but I knew that would happen. And I still loved you. I can see your life pattern before me and I still love you knowing what you're going to do. God loves you right now. He loves me. He loves all of us that are standing saying, 
I've asked for your forgiveness. I receive. Receive your grace. Receive his grace now. In Jesus' name. And lift up your chins. And look forward. And go again. And if you stumble and if you fall, the Father says, I'm still here. At the end of your life, this may not literally happen, it will tell all the believers and you. I never left your side. I was always there. I'm here right now. Welcome into eternity with the Father. We thank you for your love demonstrated on the cross, that your grace is sufficient. Your blood covers all sin, not just some. I ask now, Father God, for us that are standing, asking for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit, as you did for Peter, the one who failed so royally. You empowered him to preach and thousands were saved. I pray now, Holy Spirit, come upon us and empower us that we might be effective for your gospel. That whether we see thousands saved or one person healed, whatever it is, we do it in the might and the power of your Holy Spirit that enabled a sinner and a failure like Peter to turn around and become someone who we look at and admire for what he did, that he gave his life eventually for the gospel. Just lay our lives down for the goodness of the gospel in our towns, in our families, in this nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.